In Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I live, there's a movement by kids and for kids called the Global Warming Express. It's named for a book by Marina Weber, who was nine years old when she started writing it. She's all of 14 now. And we're going to be talking to her in just a moment about the book and about her journey as a young activist. And for those of you who are listening in the Santa Fe area, there's a book launch party at the Hotel Santa Fe this Friday, the 21st of July at 5.30. Everyone is invited to attend. And it'll be a real opportunity to see how young people are responding to climate change and what kind of positive attitude they bring to this work. We're also going to be talking to climate scientist Stuart Pym from Duke University, who is on the advisory board of the Global Warming Express. And he is passionate not only about science, but also empowering young people and everybody to make a difference to actually protect and restore ecosystems. And you'll be hearing about that in today's show as well. It's great to witness multiple generations doing the work together. To find out more about all this, you can go to theglobalwarmingexpress.org. Let's go now to Marina Weber. I'm delighted now to welcome Marina Weber. She is author of the book, The Global Warming Express. Welcome. Thank you. So this it's kind of an amazing story, not just the story in the book, but the story of the book. You are 14 years old. You started writing this book about, I think, five years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Yeah. And it's a children's book about animals who are affected by global climate change. And it starts with this... I mean, everybody's super cute. The book is illustrated by your friend, Joanna Wisner. It starts with this penguin into Antarctica who makes its way to the San Diego Zoo to rescue his best friend, who's a harp seal. And together, these two animals board a magic train that goes all over the continent to places where climate change has had an effect. And along the way, they pick up other animals and they pick up two girls, you and Joanna. And they're bound for Washington, D.C. to meet with the president. So that's sort of the outline of the book. And lots of adventures happen along the way. How did you come to write this? I think that um, my third grade teacher actually inspired me. She read us a book called Dear Children of the Earth, which was all about um, endangered animals and how they're being affected by the world changing so much. And so I kind of got thinking I want to... I'd been writing letters to President Obama since I was in first grade, and I decided that I wanted to do more than that. So I decided to, first I wanted to send him Dear Children of the Earth, and then I thought, well, I didn't, I'm just going to write my own book, and I'll give it to him hopefully in person. And um, I don't exactly remember how I came up with the idea of all the animals. I think that throughout the years, more and more got added on. And at first it was just the fluff, who's the penguin, Creamy, who's the harp seal, and Flora, who's the polar bear, and Joanna and I. And then I think along the way, just more and more got added in as more animals became endangered and needed help. So you started with the penguin because of its um, precarious position in yeah. Antarctica? Yeah. Yeah. And so every animal in it, in one way or another, perhaps with the exception of the rat, uh, yeah. it has, has some real problems. Yes. Yeah. So, like many children's books, these animals have some human characteristics. They wear clothes, you know, one of them has a little parasol, one of them wears a little beret, and so on. They're, they have parents who have professions. And they also become friends with each other kind of across the boundaries of what actually happens in nature, like predator and prey. Um, yeah. Do not usually become friends with one another, and in the book they do. What 
was the idea there? I mean, was there some symbolism to that for you? I think that um, because it's a children's book, I didn't want to have, you know, have a polar bear and a seal be afraid of each other because, I, you know, I think that everyone can become friends eventually. So when I wrote in a polar bear and a seal, that at first they had a hard time. And then one of the first editions of the book, uh, the polar bear ends up rescuing the seal. And so they become friends. And I think that there was some symbolism in that. I mean, no matter how different you are, you can always find something in common or you can always, you know, become friends. Very interesting. There's a lot of real scientific information in the book about climate change. How did you go about researching that? Um, well, I had help. Joanna and um, I and Amy spent, Amy, Joanna's mom, spent hours and hours and hours researching different aspects of the book um, to make sure everything was correct. And then when we rewrote the book, we had to update everything again. And because um, we really wanted it to be a children's book, but also teach something. So there needed to be scientific fact in there. And there's one character, I think it's the parrot, who uh, is kind of nerdy about that. Yeah, I know was, was we put her in because we didn't want to have Joanna and I teaching everything because we're only nine or ten in the book, so we wouldn't know that much. But the parrot has watched TV and has read books and stuff, so she kind of knows everything about everything. So she teaches us. Did you find that between the first and the second edition or the first and second like write and rewrite that information had changed? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I started in third, fourth grade-ish, I was there was kind of no information in the book and there was just a little bit of information of like, you know, what's happening to the penguins and the seals. And then in sixth grade, I rewrote the entire book and there was just so much more information about you know, how the earth is warming up and how the ice is melting and so many more endangered species. So there was tons of new information I found. And you work this in into the book in ways that, you know, are compatible with the storytelling, yeah. uh, which is kind of the point. And this train, which is kind of a, a great fantasy invention, a magic train that goes wherever it needs to go. Yeah. No train tracks necessary. You know, you need water. It kind of invents its own swimming pool. Yeah. How did you choose the places where it visited? Um, we did a lot of research on that, too. We set it back to um, right before Hurricane Katrina, actually, and the Gulf oil spill. So we wanted to have super big um, issues in there. We have the tar sands in Alberta, Canada, when they were starting the... Uh, pipeline that was supposed to run now that might run and then we went to I wanted the Gulf oil spill to be in there because well first of all we live in New Mexico and it's pretty close by and also I'd heard a lot about it and it killed so many animals and then Hurricane Sandy because um, I'd also heard a lot about that and it was huge and it you know was also really close to Washington DC and we felt that it would be a really good sort of ending to the book. So, yeah. In the book, the train goes faster when the passengers are happy and optimistic and it goes slower or grinds to a stop when they're sad or in a state of desperation. How do you, 
how do you remain positive? I mean, is the message that people should remain positive in the face of the current reality? Yeah, it is. We, through the after school groups, we um, show a lot of what's happening to the earth right now. But our main message is that there's always something we can do. So we never want the kids to be really negative. And I really felt that that was important to put into the book because that's what I was taught was that, you know, no matter how big the problem is, you can usually do something to help it. So I wanted to put something like that into the book to remind everyone to stay positive and that, you know, things can really happen when you do stay positive. So what kind of things are you doing and encouraging others to do? Well, after, since the book has just come out, um, I'm going to try and be as involved as I can. And I'm actually going to write another book, which is, I'm working on a proposal right now, which I'm hoping is going to be for a larger age group. This book is probably for like 9 to 12 year olds, and I'm thinking to extend it to older age group with more science in it, but still readable for younger children, just so that everyone gets the message. And also, I would, this book ended on a complete cliffhanger, so I wanted to finish that up. Right, right. So you want, is it sort of like part two, what happens? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, not to spoil it entirely for young people who might be listening, but... Um, you know, that they get to Washington. Yes. But we don't know what happens then. It's going to be, all I'm going to say is it's going to be kind of set in the future. So when Joanna and I, it's going to be set from now until we're 20 and what happens in that span. And it's going to be not necessarily what's going to happen, but what can happen. So it's going to be a positive book. How do you feel about, I mean, when it was, when you wrote this President Obama was president. Now we have someone else in the White House. Is this somebody you would take the book to? Um, we actually did think of that, but I think that Joanna Zanai's answer was no. We still want to meet the president. He did get our book. We didn't get to meet him, though. And um, we do still want to meet him, even though he is out of office. But I don't Obama. think that Obama, yes. Yeah. I don't think that bringing it to our current president is something we want to necessarily do. Why not? Uh, simply because he is not, you know, the biggest climate ad advocate. And I think that it might kind of, you know, push us down and make us feel like we really can't do anything because he, is, you know, he doesn't really think climate change is the biggest issue biggest issue and we definitely do yeah so might stop the train right so you started writing this book when you were in fourth grade you just finished eighth grade how did you like what was that process like I mean most young people I mean even you know dedicated good students and everything don't necessarily take on long-term projects yeah it was definitely stressful because um, you know, we did the book and I kind of thought I was finished with it in fourth grade. And then in fifth grade, we started our first after school program. So that kind of took me off track from the book. And then sixth grade, I had a deadline to finish it actually that summer. So I worked on it the entire summer and I got it done. But then, and I thought I was done with it. And then I had to edit it for like an entire year and edit it and edit it and change stuff and edit it again. And finally, when it was done, I was kind of relieved. 
but um, it was an amazing experience and I learned so much from it. When you went through that process of editing, were there people helping you or were you on yeah. your own? Yeah, we had um, our first editor. Uh, our first editor helped us a lot. He was one of my mom's friends. And then um, Amy Bianco, Joanna Weisner's mom, she was actually an editor. So she helped us a lot with that because um, she kind of knew what we should put into the book and what we should change from the book and what wording to use to make it sound a little bit more professional because we were younger. What was the process like of working with your illustrator and your good friend, Joanna Weisner? Joanna and I have kind of always had our ups and downs, so it was a little bit rocky sometimes. If we were, you know, in a fight or not really, like, really good friends, it'd be harder to work on the book. But we both stayed pretty professional, and now we're back to being best friends again. So I think it was hard, but also it's always kept us connected, which I'm really grateful for. How are your peers, your fellow teenagers, talking about global warming and climate change and environmental problems with one another? Like, is there, is this part of the conversation? Um, in classes, definitely in, you know, science class or humanities class, we talk about it a lot. But I found that we don't really talk about it, it as much. I know that I definitely haven't been as involved this past year as I should have, mainly because school's been so stressful. But, um... Yeah, I don't find that it's a topic of conversation necessarily, except in classes. It says in the back of the book that you you have been an activist since you were six years old. What set you in that direction? Was there an experience or an event? Yeah, my mom and I went to visit the uh, Boston Aquarium, where they have this huge penguin habitat. And I remember asking my mom, I was in first grade, And I remember asking my mom um, why they were here and not home. And she said, well, because either they've saved them from ice melting or they needed help or, you know, they don't have really a home anymore. So the next morning, I wrote a letter to President Obama saying, I think it was like really short. And it was, dear President Obama, I'm really worried about the penguins. Please help them. Marina. That was it. (laughs) And I kept kind of writing them throughout that year. And they were all about animals. And um, that kind of started me on the journey, I guess. And it says in the book that at a certain point you learned what a form letter was. Right. Um, Our neighbor, actually, I'd been getting letters back. And at one point, I got this huge packet with like pictures and, you know, maps of the White House and stuff. And, um, uh, we showed it to our neighbor, and she kind of mentioned that it was a form letter. And I went home, and I was like, Mom, what's a form letter? And she was like, oh, no, she found out. Like, I didn't want her to find out. And at that point, I was like, you know, I'm going to – I want to, him to actually read my letters. I don't want them to just be more mail that he sends a form letter back to. And um, in the book, there's actually a copy of one, and I think I have three of them, which are basically the same wording – which was just kind of like a shock to me. I was pretty young, so I was just kind of like, wow, you know, he hasn't actually been reading them. And up until then, you thought that the president was writing you back. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a, like, there is no Santa Claus level disappointment. It is, yeah. Yeah. So what are your plans with the book? With this current book? Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, think... have, have young kids read it 
so far? It's not in bookstores. It got just it just got published and um, sent out in their newsletter like two weeks ago, I think. And so it's being shipped to bookstores now, bookstores who want them. Um, I know that one of our local bookstores is requesting it, and I'm going to do a book signing there. And then um, I think our plans are to f- just start off with book signings and see where it goes. Are you trying to get it into like the hands of teachers so that they use it as yes. part of their teaching? Yeah. Um, well, if we get this after school program started again, then we're going to have it in schools, hopefully, to use for curriculum so that kids can read it and learn more because it's relatable to younger kids. Talk about the vehicle of storytelling as a way of doing activism. I think that, you know, telling, especially with when you've got younger kids, um, that, you know, saying stories like about animals are relatable to them because, you know, every kid loves animals. They're really, you know, they're cute and they're adorable and, you know, and um, especially when if I would speak at, uh, you know, anything public, I'd usually try and tell some kind of a story just to get the audience kind of involved in what I was feeling. Or um, we also do this through song and dance a lot. We would make up, you know, songs and dances and write them and perform them places. And it kind of tells a story of either what we hope can happen or what is happening because I feel like, you know, telling stories... um, isn't just like talking it's just like it's getting the audience more involved or bringing them in a little bit more yeah what are your hopes for this world for this planet for the animals well i guess you know i guess in my next book i'm going to talk about this being i mean slowing down global warming you know getting off of um coal and things like that and going completely renewable hopefully in most countries and just you know helping the planet as much as we can helping everyone as much as we can because it's kind of hurting right now what are your own hopes for yourself do you know yet what your what your own aspirations are i don't i do know that i want to do something in writing but um i i'm not sure yet actually well i wish you the very best of luck. The book is called The Global Warming Express. It's by Marina Weber, who is 14 years old, about to go into ninth grade. It's illustrated by Joanna Wisner. And I have to say, it is endorsed and blurbed by Tom Udall, U.S. Senator from New Mexico, and Nancy Pelosi and, and several others. So good job and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And once again, for more information, you can go to theglobalwarmingexpress.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and check out our interview with Duke climate scientist Stuart Pym. You've been listening to Radioactivism. For more information, you can find us at radioactivism.net. Please feel free to contact us there with any comments or questions or ideas, and we'll see you next time.